Hey from Umeå, the biggest city in northern Sweden, famous for Stig Larsson, the Northern Lights, plenty of snow, and an unusual quirk in the Swedish language. Let's check it out. And that means yes. Here in uh, Umeå, we say uh... And that means yes. How do you say uh, yes? Teach me how to say it. How say do, yes. How do you say it? Yeah. Do you have to like that? Yeah, it is bit. Yeah. Just if you um, have a mint in your mouth, it's like. Okay. Like. Can you say it? Yeah. No. You're not. You're not shocked or scared or something. That's just. No, I think it, maybe it's just a. Just an easy way to say it. You don't have to open your mouth and say "ja." You can just. What noise do you make if you are shocked about something? Well, if I'm shocked, maybe I will go. <gasps> that sounded exactly well, the same as the other one. <laughs> no, it doesn't because then I open my mouth like, <gasps> and the other one is. Okay. I remember the first time I talked to someone from northern Sweden and I was talking about myself and I thought they were really uh, impressed with everything I was saying because they kept going <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't well it wasn't very impressive either they were just yeah hmm. mm, the Swedish way <laughs> the Swedish way yeah. well that's it for our research today have we learned something I think the answer is most definitely <laughs> All right. Well, if you're happy you're here this morning, if you're glad to be here this morning, say, not bad, not bad for first timers. I, I got to wonder though, as I watched that, is it really that much more effort to say yes? <laughs> seems harder to me, but I guess once you get used to it. Well, I'm Pastor Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at French Church. Glad that you're here this morning. If you're looking around and you're seeing some people that are missing next to you, people, maybe your person that sits next to you every week isn't here, could very well be that uh, she is at the women's retreat. We have, uh, I think, a, uh, a, I said I was going to say a boatload, but it's more like a uh, freighter ship load of women uh, down at uh, our women's retreat. And so be praying for them. They'll be heading back here in a few minutes. I hear they've had a great weekend. We're glad about that. I knew it was women's retreat and the people around here knew it was that weekend. Uh, my wife, Sheila, like some of the other women, uh, decided that it was going to be a whole weekend thing. So she took off first thing Friday morning. And I went home for lunch Friday from church to find the table empty. Uh, nothing laid out for me. So I came back and told the ladies what I'd had. I said, well, retreat has started. My lunch today was chocolate Cheerios and sweet tarts. <laughs> that, uh, maybe not the healthiest lunch, but it was good. And uh, I improved after that. It was paninis and then paninis leftovers and then Arby's. So <laughs> we, we got, we moved up. Uh, well, I don't know. We, we, anyhow, it was, it was a good weekend and glad for our women to be back. Uh, let's try this. Um, if you're glad you're here this morning, say amen. amen. Eh, not bad. Uh, let's try it again. If you're glad you're here this morning, say amen. amen. All right. If you're really glad you're here, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. I've been waiting for years to do that. 
uh, when I was growing up, in fact, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I became acquainted with and then friends with uh, an evangelist. His name was Stan Scott. Stan had been um, born and raised in, in Pittsburgh, ended up in Steubenville, Ohio, where he became a... He was helping to start a television station in Steubenville. Steubenville's not that big a place, but they decided they could support a television station, and they went and they did it. And he became their newsman. He ended up with a talk show, a morning talk show became very popular, and then he was promoted to director of news. And he became the news director there at the station in Steubenville. One day in 1971, uh, he had a very dramatic uh, transformation in his own life. And he came to know the Lord. He walked away from that news career, went to Malone uh, College, now Malone University. And he became a traveling evangelist. And he traveled around the world, although he around the country, although he was basically this part of the country that he made his, his home base. He, one day, though, he traveled out to uh, Arizona. And this is an article from the Prescott Daily Courier in July 2nd, 1982. And it says this, it's in the religion section of the paper that day. It says, Scott does not fit the mold of the evangelist who travels on the small church circuit. He is well-dressed, well-groomed, and articulate. (laughs) So I guess she's she's making a comment, or he's making a comment, the writer, on uh, what he views as Evangelist. He's also not the fire and brimstone type of evangelist that every three seconds speaks of the horror of hell. Scott is concerned more with the acceptance of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. I had a chance to minister with Stan as he would come to our, my home church every now and then and we'd do the music and he would preach. And uh, a great guy. He was sharp. I mean, he could be on GQ or whatever and, and it, was, it was great to, to minister with him. But he would always start off. That was his trademark. And you knew it was coming. So if you've been in services before, you knew to prepare for it. If you're happy, glad you're here this morning, say amen and we'd be ready. If you're really glad you're here, say praise the Lord. And we would do that. Then the next thing he would say is let's turn in our scriptures. So we would do that. And so let's do that. This morning we're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, you might say, is there a reason we're here this morning? Yeah, there is. Uh, Like you, I was going through the New Testament challenge, and I was reading the scriptures with you as we were going through. And for some reason, this passage just struck me. And we would go on and read the next day and the next day. And I always would come back and I'd reread this and reread it and, and look up something. And I, that went on for a long, long time. And I finally said, you know, if it means that much to me, maybe I, next time I get to preach, we ought to preach on it. So that's why we're here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through, verses 12 through 20. And it goes like this. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you. In the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident in this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. 
Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Father, I pray that you would uh, use this time, these next 30 minutes, to bring honor to yourself, to bring glory to you. And Lord, may uh, the words, your words, cut to our heart. And Father, may this morning as we leave, we leave changed individuals because we have spent this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love God's word. And one of the things I love about God's word is it really doesn't spare us anything. I mean, it gives us the good and the bad on people. It gives us the good and the bad on churches. And here we are in this scripture. If if you're kind of wondering what's going on, we've just been cast right in the middle of a squabble. And it's a squabble between Paul and a church he founded. And if you read through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know, you see relations are a little tense here. It's not always all we remember Paul fondly in love with him, but as Paul has been gone, there have been some that have risen up and has challenged his leadership. And they've taken this opportunity to question Paul's integrity, his trustworthiness, the truthfulness of his word. And so Paul finds it necessary to defend himself. And all of this is basically over a change in travel plans. Paul at some point said, you know, I'd really like to go, I need to go to Macedonia, and I'd really like to swing by and catch you on the way. And then what would really be great is I could swing by and catch you on the way back, visit you twice, a double blessing. And we could have some time together. Well, obviously, it didn't happen. And so Paul was being confronted by those who were saying, he can't be trusted. His word's no good. Now, this is a rhetorical question, so you don't need to raise your hands, but how many people here have ever had a change in plans? Probably on your way to church here this morning. (laughs) It happens all the time. New information comes, new invitations, higher priority items. We don't know what it is. We're only seeing one half of this conversation. But something happened that Paul had to change his plans, and he didn't go. And the ones who were opposing Paul said, oh, see, see. And Paul knew, Paul knew that this was a critical issue. In fact, he starts off in that first verse that we read in verse 12. He said, my conscience is clear. And he knew that his integrity, that his trustworthiness was critical in this conversation. Because, think about this, if Paul's word today is not good, if he can't be trusted, if he lacks integrity, what about when he was first here and what he shared with us? Can we trust that? Is that something that we should begin to doubt? 
And so this conversation goes on. And this conversation, I kind of think you could get a better grasp of it, maybe more in our day language, if we look at it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Uh, and on the screen is verses 17 through 19. As Paul had written, had, had written and Eugene Peterson has translated it, it says this, Are you now going to accuse me of being flipped with my promises because it didn't work out? Hey, just because it didn't work out? Is, is, is that, is that being, I'm not good to my promise? Do you think I talk out of both sides of my mouth? A glib yes one moment, a glib no the next? Well, you're wrong. I like that. Well, you're wrong. I try, and I like that word try, I try to be as true to my word as God is to his. Paul is setting a very high standard. I don't know, boy, I'd like to be able to set that standard like with Paul. I try to be as true to my word. As God is with his. He was saying, I am a faithful messenger. And he starts to unpack it a little more. Our word to you wasn't a careless yes, canceled out by an indifferent no. How could it be? When Silas and Timothy and I proclaimed the Son of God among you, did you pick up on the yes and no, on again, off again, waffling? Wasn't it a clean, strong yes? Other versions in the NIV said, say it this way. Isn't it always yes? Always yes. When we came to you when we proclaimed Christ, wasn't it always yes? And I read that always yes over and over again. And I said, okay, Paul, what, what's always yes? What is it that's always yes? And we go back in here. He says, it's my proclamation. Think about it. Paul is saying here, I am preaching you a gospel of Christ. A One who came, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, suffered, gave his life as a sacrifice, was risen again, seen by many. Wasn't that always yes? Was there any wavering in my message? Is there anything you didn't understand? And then he goes to say, and if it wasn't just me, it was Silas and Timothy. We all had the same message. We never wavered. It was always yes. It was always yes, Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he points that out here. In the other versions, this just said Son of God. But he says, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Very unusual for Paul. Very unusual for Paul to say, Son of God, Jesus Christ. He would refer to Jesus or Christ But Son of God, Jesus Christ, his point was, our point has always been from the very beginning, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. We have never wavered. We have never wavered. It it seems like what was happening here is those that were opposed to Paul were attacking the message by trying to undermine the messenger. They were attacking the message By trying to undermine the messenger. If Paul can't be trusted, if he's not trustworthy, then what about the message? And we know that there were false prophets and false teachers that were coming up in the churches. And some were saying, you know, Jesus has been gone for a while. And, you know, maybe he wasn't really God. Maybe he really didn't raise from the dead. Maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't, maybe these are stories, but he would have been a good teacher. And, And Paul says, no, we preach the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Paul was flipping it around on him. He was appealing to the message to validate himself as a messenger. He said, judge me by the message that I gave you. Wasn't it always yes? Was there never a doubt? Were there any no's? 
It's always been yes. It's easy for the church to get sidetracked on other issues than Jesus Christ. It's easy for you and I at times to get sidetracked on other issues than Jesus Christ. And Paul here is saying, yes, always yes, always Christ, always Him. Always yes. There is a, there is a basketball announcer on TV. He's national. His name's Marv Albert. You may know him. He has a signature call. Do you know what that is? Yes. yes. <laughs> you heard it in the first service. But Marv Albert, he would say, you know, he's got the ball. He shoots. Yes. He dribbles left. He dribbles right. He shoots. Yes. He launches a three. Yes. You know, yes. I feel like that this morning as I'm preaching this. Paul saying, it's yes. Jesus is yes. Jesus is yes. It's him. It's not these other issues. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified that we talked about. Not only is my message true, but it validates me as a messenger. It's always yes. I think maybe, maybe he learned this the hard way. Right before he went to Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, he was at another place. It's called Athens. And we read that story in Athens. And a lot of times we, we think, ah, oh, Paul did a great job there. Because he went there and, and he kind of met the Athenians in their own intellectual field. He, he appealed to them on the intellect. But if you look at Paul's message, Paul's message to the Athenians was not really a strong Christ-centered salvation, redemption message. In fact, the message tended to go towards the judgmental area. And Paul was trying to appeal to them with reason, thinking that they needed a judge more than they needed a redeemer. He left Athens at the end of chapter 17, it says, with a few converts. One guy, one girl, and a couple others. That's all he had. We don't read of any return to Athens. We don't read any books in our Bible. We don't ever tell you to turn to First Athenians. No Bible. No books. But Paul then went straight to Corinth. And when he wrote to the Corinthians the first time, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, listen to this. When I came to you, brothers, that would have been right after, right after Athens, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, I'm not coming. I'm through with the intellectual stuff. I'm not coming here trying to wow you with my intelligence and my learning. I'm coming to you with one message. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. And from that, we have a church. Had its problems. But it was a, it was a thriving church with problems, like many are. It was a church that we have two letters to in God's Word. 
Because he said, what is most important is Jesus Christ, not these other issues. And he realized they needed a redeemer more than they needed a judge. I think Stan Scott was that way. I read that uh, newspaper article to you and it said, you know, he, he didn't preach the fire and brimstone every three seconds. Now, every three seconds, that might be a little much. I've heard every five seconds before, I think, but uh, not three. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a message of redemption that reaches out to us. You see, Stan was an adamant militant, he described, atheist. He was an atheist working in a news channel in Steubenville, Ohio. And what he liked to do on his daily talk show was to bring in people who would um, create interesting conversation. One of those people that he brought in one day was a guy named the Reverend Bob Harrington. If you remember Bob Harrington, he was the chaplain of Bourbon Street. And Bob would debate. In fact, Bob became very famous debating Madeline Murray O'Hara. He, on the Phil Donahue show, I think it was, 30 sometimes. And Bob could debate and debate very well. And, but that day he came to talk with Stan. And he sat there in that meeting. He talked about the love of Christ. And he talked about the good things of Scripture. And he talked about the promises of God. And he says, you need a redeemer. Two minutes after that show ended in 1971, Stan Scott gave his life to Christ. Because someone had shared with him Jesus Christ and him crucified and what he could do to redeem a life. But Paul goes on. He says, it's more than just, yes, preaching. But we got more for you. And this is kind of the focus verse this morning. First, Second Corinthians one twenty says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. The message translates it this way. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. You know those stamps that you stamp with? Now a lot of them come pre-inked. But we used to have an ink pad, and you'd hit the ink pad and you'd stamp. Ink pad, stamp. Ink pad, stamp. He says, each of these promises, every promise, every promise that God has ever made, Paul says, a bold statement gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. So we have to ask ourselves, what promises, Paul, are you talking about? What promises get stamped with that yes? Well, I imagine Paul was thinking as he's writing this about the scriptures that he knows. Those Old Testament promises. The Old Testament word that we would, we would read through and now look back and say, yes, those promises were stamped with the yes of Christ. I'm thinking he's, Paul might be thinking all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When God says, I will send a seed of Adam who will crush the head of Satan. Stamped with the yes of Jesus. How about Genesis chapter 12 when God bumps into Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation and all the earth will be blessed through your seed. A guy without, an old guy without any kids and with a fairly not-so-young wife. 
He said, there's going to be a seed. Someone from your family who will bless the world. Boom. Stamped with the yes of Christ. Moses in Deuteronomy tells his people, there's going to come a greater prophet than I, and you better listen to him. Stamped with the yes of Christ. How about 2 Samuel? David is told by God, someone from your family, the seed of David, the offspring will sit on the throne of a kingdom and that kingdom will last forever. Pow! Stamped with the yes of Christ. Isaiah 7, God told Ahaz that a virgin shall conceive and his name will be Emmanuel. Boom! Stamped with the yes of Christ. In Isaiah we read, he was despised, rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, familiar with suffering, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Yes. Stamped with the yes of Christ. Zechariah 9. A king is coming, righteous and having salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey. Stands with the yes of Christ. Paul is thinking of these promises and many others. And he's saying, I see them all. And I see them all stamped with the yes of Christ. Always yes. Always Christ. Don't get tied up on these other things. Don't get off track thinking, you know, all these things that get us travel plans and our little squabbles and all that. Folks! It's always yes when we focus on Christ. There was another announcer. He, he announced football usually. His name was Keith Jackson. And when he saw something fabulous, he would say this. Whoa, Nelly. <laughs> I look at these, this here by Paul, and I think this is a whoa, Nelly moment. <laughs> All God's promises have been stamped, yes, by Christ. Whoa, Nelly. If you're glad you're here this morning, say, whoa, Nelly. <laughs> you guys will do anything, won't you? <laughs> All God's promises have been stamped with the yes of Christ. If you're glad you're here this morning, say amen. Stand or do that in the middle of the sermon just to make sure you're still awake. So I got through there and I thought, wow, that is so cool. All God's promises. Thank you, Lord, for those promises that were fulfilled. And unfortunately, I thought that's only about a 20 minute sermon. So I kept reading and we kept reading through the New Testament challenge till we came to another book. It's a book of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about these promises. In fact, I think promises, the Greek word promises is used 13 times in the New Testament. Six of them are in Hebrews. Hebrews kind of focuses on promises. These promises that were made to Abraham, to David, we call those covenants. Those promises that Jesus Christ came and... Am I allowed to do that to my Bible? (laughs) Jesus Christ came and fulfilled. Stamped him, yes. But the writer of Hebrews has even better news for you and me this morning. And it comes right out of chapter 8, verse 6. 
Chapter 8, verse 6 of Hebrews. He says this, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant from God based on what? Better promises. Whoa, Nelly! <laughs> we have, he says, Jesus Christ not only fulfilled and put his stamp on all those promises, he has ushered in a new realm. He has ushered in a new age. He has ushered in new covenant based on better, but not just new covenant, a far better covenant based on better promises. And he starts right off and saying, what makes this one better to begin with is we no longer need somebody to go between God and be our mediator, be our go-between with God. It started out with Moses. Moses was the go-between between the Israelite people and God. And then it was passed on to Aaron and to the priestly reign. And so they, it was the priests who would do that. It's no longer needed. He says, it is Christ who mediates this better covenant. You know, the word better this Greek word here is used 18 times in the New Testament, that Greek word. 13 times in Hebrews. Hebrews is focused on these promises and these better promises. And so he goes on and he points out, this isn't even a surprise. This isn't God's new plan. This is the plan God had from the beginning because he quotes Jeremiah. He quotes the prophet Jeremiah and said, here are the promises. We'll get to those in a minute, but he starts off in verse 7. He says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I had with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to the covenant, so I turned back on them, says the Lord. A new covenant, a better covenant. I was even wondering, how does God better himself? If God is perfect and he makes something perfect how, and something good, how can he better himself? And I thought about it. Well, he did. He made man and he thought, eh, made woman a little better. Huh? So he can do it. He can do it. But God here, he says, I got a better covenant. I got a better promise. And he says, it's here because the problem with the old covenant wasn't the, your problem. wasn't my problem. It's your problem. The people just couldn't keep it. And so he goes on and he says, here are the new promises. Here are the better promises. But this is a new covenant, verse 10, that I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He says, I will put my laws in their minds. It's now an inward change that comes in our lives. Before the law, the covenant, the promises had to be written on stone or tablet or papyrus or whatever it was. He says, no longer, no longer do those promises need to be written in stone. They're written in your heart. He said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change your heart. I can dwell within you. I can make you a new creature. You can have intimacy with God. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer living separate. No longer having to have someone else mediate, but a personal relationship where I will be your God. You will be my people. 
It's written on our hearts. He goes on and says, And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and it teaches us. The Holy Spirit, the promised one of God, comes in and helps us to know God. To know about Him. Jesus said, I'm ascending another who will come and will lead and guide and direct you. And then he says this, the grand finale, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Under the old law, sacrifices had to be made repeatedly again and again and again. But God says, no, now with Jesus Christ as our mediator, now preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you can have complete forgiveness. Isn't that a whoa, Nelly moment? Whoa, Nelly! Wow! The new covenant, the new promises that God gives you and me are greater, better, according to God's word, better than what's ever been. It was better than what Paul preached when he talked about the old covenant. It's a new covenant, it's a new promise. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We need to go back and look at that last line in 2 Corinthians 1.20. The whole verse is this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you know what Amen is? Basically, it's yes. So be it. Let it be. Paul is saying, God has said yes to you in any and any, every way that he can. What's your response to him? It's got to be Amen. It's got to be, yes, Lord. When you think about how God has ministered to you, how God has brought you here this morning, how God has blessed you, do you respond with, amen, thank you, yes. When God asks you if you want to follow Him, is your answer, amen, yes. We've talked a lot about chairs over the last few months. We've talked about chairs and you see them out in the hallway. Which chair do you sit in? Some people, and I imagine there's some here today, are still in that first chair. Exploring Christ. There's some point in time where he keeps saying yes, he keeps saying yes, he keeps saying yes. Some point in time, you need to say yes to him. Yes, God, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Today's as good as day as any. Why not just, yes. Or, if you prefer, or something like that. However you get it done. You know, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, a little bit further back here, He says, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't barge in. He says yes to you, but He waits for your yes. But maybe you're in those other chairs and you've been saying, yes, 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 but there's some no's in your life. 
I like that term, always yes. Always yes. Paul said, always yes. When we preach Christ, it's always yes. I think Christ asks us in return. Always, always yes. Uh, mm, you know, I'm like Paul, maybe. I try and I'm trying. You're trying. Yeah. Always yes. Always yes. So I don't know what kind of decisions need to be made today. And, um, you know, we're going to sing in just a minute. And the band's going to come. And it's not going to be an invitation. I think it's going to be more of a celebration. Because as I was hearing this, hearing this song, as I was... Um, thinking this week is that we just saying it says God's love says yes to us. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on you. Yes. God is always yes. God's always yes to you. He never fails. He never runs out. He never gives up. And so we're going to sing, but if, if, if this morning you said, I want to say yes to Christ, We'll be down here afterwards, and, and please come talk. The altar is open if you can do it. There's also a box on that insert in that in your bulletin, the Be Known. There's a box here that says, yes. I said yes to Christ. If you'd check that, I would greatly appreciate knowing, knowing that this morning. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. I just pray that this morning, as you think about how God has said yes to you, as we respond in praise, that you say yes to God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we're just so grateful. We're grateful that we know a God who is always yes to us. Lord, no matter how bad it's been, no matter how ugly we've been, no matter how far away from you we've run, you're always yes. Lord, we thank you that your promises are true. We thank you for your scripture that shares those with us. So this morning, we just, we just ask that, Lord, you would come. And Lord, change our lives in the way that we need to be changed. For those who are exploring you and need to make that step. Lord, I pray today would be the day they would have the courage to say yes to you. For those of us, Lord, that sometimes struggle to make that always yes, help us to surrender our wills, our stubbornness, our selfishness. Become like you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's stand together and sing of his love.
never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love. On and on. And on and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. Cause one thing remains. Yes, one Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love. In death and life. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated.